Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome to the podcast that highlights Black women performers and discusses racial issues within Michigan performing venues. My name is Ashley M. Lyle, and I am joined here today with the wonderfully talented Tammy, I'm sorry, Tam White. How are you, Tam? I'm good. How are you, Ashley? Good, good. So, you know, let's just, just jump right into the interview. Explain to me what your brand of comedy is. Hmm. My brand of comedy is, I don't know how to, I don't know how to. That's, no one's ever asked me that. That's crazy. Um, okay, let me explain it the best way I can. Okay. It's it's PG-13 and with a lot of real life experiences and, and social commentary. I mostly like to talk a lot about like my life um, as a wife, being a black woman and the age group that I'm in. I like to talk a lot about Detroit. I talk a lot about celebrities make fun of celebrities. And I also talk about things that are currently in the news, like current events, whether it's like our president or, you know, like the Kwame Kilpatrick scandal, like anything you can make jokes about, I'll do it. As long as I'm not, as long as it's not something that's too soon or I'm crossing the line, I don't really like to offend any groups of people. So I'm careful with that too. So I really, I'm glad you asked that because I need to figure out how I'm going to answer that when someone asks me that again. I, it's, it's, <laughs> Because I just I answered that with a lot just then I know I did and I don't I don't fit in one box. I was told that I'm mainstream. I can be family friendly, but I can also do well at a bachelorette party. So I'm like all over the place, Ashley. So I really don't know how to describe my comedy. Okay, I, I'll do old, young, white, black, mixed crowd, like everything. Yeah, I mean, and the, and you know that's okay. How how long have you been doing comedy? Stand-up comedy I've been doing for four years, mm-hmm. and I, I got into that after doing improv for about seven years. Mm. Yeah, I started out with improv, so yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, that's perfectly fine where it for where it's hard to really describe that. You know, I think I would probably be thrown off, too, if someone asked me that. So every time I ask this yeah. question to my guests... I have to kind of think about that myself. Like, what is my brand of acting mm-hmm. or what have you? And it's and the fact that you asked that it, it, it reminds me of um I talk to a lot of comics um a few a few of them a lot I'll talk to that may may Detroit maybe a Detroit comic who's been in the business for years has been like in New York L A may have been on BET HBO you know had many experiences and they'll tell you. Things like, um, hey, it took me 10 years to know exactly what my delivery should be like or who I am on stage. So I kind of get it. The fact that it feels weird to me that I can't really answer that question definitely for you when you ask me that. I should be able, I feel like I should be able to say, oh, this is my brand. Bam, 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 with a little this on top. But I couldn't do that. And I get it now because I've heard that from many veterans who say, it took me like 12 years or 10 years to figure out I need to throw that out. Like, that doesn't work for me. So Mm-hmm. I guess I'm in that process right now, still yeah. figuring yeah, all that out. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. as as you continue your profession, it's good to good to find out the things that define you and your art. You know. Um, so why don't you tell me what inspires your brand of comedy? What or who I should say? Oh, okay. So 
I never thought about, I never appreciated stand up so much until Chris Rock. Mm. Um, many years ago when he had his stand up specials, like Bring the Pain, and his delivery, his style is like what I love the most out of all the comics. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock would be the person that is who is the reason why I do what I do because growing up I was always funny I have this thing where like I'm I'm witty and that's how I got into improv like I'll just come up with stuff off the top of my head and I'm really good with puns and things mm-hmm. like that so Chris Rock's style is similar to my my style is similar to his because of how he'll twist things around the analogies that he used how he'll take a current event or a very important news subject and put his life experience inside of that and add a punchline and it works so I feel like he's like my idol I guess you can say or mm-hmm. he's the style that I find myself not trying to be like but it, when I think about it a lot of times I find myself saying Man, that's something. Or Chris Rock would have done it this way. I'm, I'm totally. I'm, I, yeah, he, he, he got me doing this. I know, I know it's through him. I, I can't. I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's, it's. He has me. His style, his influence, just because I never thought about doing things like this. And even though it was many years ago when I saw him, it was just always in my head, like, man, Chris Rock. And when I meet people that love Chris Rock and knew his sets and knew his lines, we would we would like have this special friendship. And that person was probably a dork just like me, but we both appreciate it just the same and the, the type of humor that he provides. And I just feel like that's what I'm most attracted to, his type of humor. So I'm not really a good storyteller. I I'm just I'm 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 just a punchliner type person. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. where I, that's where I think I belong more so. And yeah, Chris Rock's not big on stories. It's just more like observations. I think I did start with improv, and that was because I know you didn't ask me, but I'll just throw it in there. The reason why I started with improv, which led to stand up. That's why I'm bringing that up is because I would always go to Second City in Detroit and watch the main stage shows with Keegan, Michael Key and um, Larry Joe Campbell, Naima Funk, Deanna Griffin, a lot of actors who moved on to like Hollywood, Chicago, New York, Broadway, whatever. And um, I would just watch them do sketch and improv. And I would think, man, that's really cool. And then I got into comedy sketch writing there. I took classes there where we learned how to write sketches. And then after that, when Second City moved from downtown Detroit to Novi, I started taking the improv classes and I graduated the conservatory program there where we did improv and and also sketch. And I asked my, in our very final graduation show, I asked my director, I said, I've been writing jokes. I actually have punchlines. I have jokes. I have like five minutes I can do. Can I just do it in the middle of our show? Because there was no stand-up there at all. It just it wasn't a thing. So she said, sure, I'll, I'll give you a chance. So I did it in the middle of our show, and the whole audience was cracking up. And that was my first taste of stand-up. And then I knew then that that's something that I wanted to pursue. So I feel like when people ask me about starting improv, aside from the Chris Rock thing, I'm sorry, when they ask about stand-up, aside from the Chris Rock thing, I always have to throw in improv because that's where it started and that's where it got the guts because improv you're not on stage alone you're on stage with people and i think if it weren't for that i probably would have never pursued stand-up because with stand-up you were by yourself and that was always the scariest part to me but improv helped me get there like eventually okay well why don't you explain to me the differences in your preparation between stand-up and improv okay so the obvious preparation is with stand-up I know my jokes. I wrote them down. I have to memorize them. I have my set. Whether I go off script and I'm just improvising and 
um, talking mess with the audience or teasing someone or handling a heckler, you know, obviously you, go, you may have that happen, but you do have your jokes. You have your set, you know, how many minutes you're going to do um, with improv. And so the way I, I'm sorry. So the way I prepare for that is I have, um, I have like a photographic memory in my head. So when I write down my jokes on that piece of paper, I can see it. So when I'm on stage, I see it in my head. And the way that I do my jokes, I, I there's a segue that goes into each joke. And a lot of comics have approached me about that too. They say, you have a, you, we can tell like you have this system where everything just flows. It flows like maybe a movie or a story where the way your jokes tie in with each other. So like for me, I'm not all over the place. For me, I may do a whole set of jokes talking about the D, Detroit. Then I'll talk a whole set of jokes about growing up as the only child. Then it'll tie into, you know, me being married. And so like, I'll never forget where I am in my set because everything ties in with the next. That's just how I do. That, that's what works for me. So the photographic memory and having every joke tie in somehow with the joke um, I just did, that's what helps me get through my standup. With improv, the only thing I could do to um, prepare for that is just prayer, basically. I play some of my favorite songs before going on stage, which is usually a Tribe Called Quest. With improv, you never know what is going to happen because everything you do with your group is based on suggestions given by the audience. Also, depending on who you're performing with that night. With improv, I, I must say I enjoy it more, the process, I enjoy it more than stand-up because it's the thing about like not knowing what's coming and having to be witty and having to deliver based on whatever these people in this audience gives you as a suggestion. They may give you a movie you never saw before, so you're just going to have to try your best with the previews you may have seen about that movie or what you heard someone say about that movie before and make your best scene or make your best improvised rap song or make your best punchline based on that. That's exciting to me. With the stand-up, though, it's more rewarding when you get the laughs because you're up there by yourself and you thought of these jokes by yourself. I write all my jokes. When people say, oh, Tim, that's funny what you just said. You should say that in your act. I'll be like, okay, thanks. I appreciate that. And I may use it. But if someone else says something funny and they're like, haha, wasn't that funny? Like, let's say it's a cousin of mine. He'll say, you can use that. You can use that on stage. I, I don't because I want to always, I want to be that. I want to be able to say, I write my own stuff. I never want people to come out and say, I gave her that. Or those really are my jokes. I thought of that. I never want to run into that. So I just, if it comes out of my head, I use it. So it's so rewarding because you you were there at um Independent Comedy Club. You saw me and T-Bar. Yeah. So the times that the people did laugh, like for me, I don't know if the glow showed on my face, but I'm like, yes, like this is my brain work. In this, in this room full of people laughed in that moment at the moment where they're supposed to, because as far as I'm concerned, that's where the punchline is. So I'm doing something right. And I love this. So that's the most rewarding thing to me. So it, they're both, they both are fun. The preparation is different. The rewards are different. Uh, I do love them both the most, but I love them both in different sections for different reasons, you know? So like I said, one is rewarding more, but over here, the actual process of performing it is more fun. So I just love them both. And I, I don't think I'll let either one go. So why don't you tell me what's the most memorable moment in your career so far? Well, it will probably be when I was at the Breakout Comedy Festival in Chicago two summers ago. And, you know, the comedian Godfrey. Okay. He was like the headliner and host and everything there. So anyway, it was it was one of the shows they had because they had like eight o'clock show, then a midnight show. One was like the dirty show. 
I performed, he was like sitting in the back. And you know, a lot of comics, when people are like well-known and they're in the audience, they're like, oh my God, they're watching. So like, that's my experience. He was sitting in the back. And then I remember after the show, he came up to me. He's like, you're funny. You're really funny. And then like, I remember when the director of the festival was getting his driver, waiting for his driver so he can get him out of there. God, the, the young lady that Godfrey was with, she was like, oh my God, you were so funny. What's your name? I'll follow you on Instagram. So it's like the fact that, because there were a lot of comics, there are a lot of comics in these festivals. And so sometimes, you know, you're, you're forgotten. Someone may see you the next day, even though they just saw you perform the night before, they'll see you the next day and it, they'll walk right past you because they don't even remember that they saw you. But I just felt like he's a guy that's performed with so many of the greats and he's been around and he's hilarious. Like he had everyone's guts, guts hurting when he was performing. The fact that he just, he told me that. And I think that was for the first time I felt validated. I felt like, oh, okay, I am funny. Like no matter how many times my husband has sat in the front row and go, babe, you were good. I enjoyed you. Or my mom or, or someone on Facebook. Uh, it, for some reason, it was him saying that. It was him it, because I felt like he has to know funny. Like he has to know funny. Out of everyone who's told me I was funny, he knows funny. So it's kind of like if Sinbad ever came up to me or Chris Rock ever said, you're funny, like it would blow my mind. So that was like- Because then that's like, the, that's like the, the peak, like I have made it kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, I have made it. Like I have made it, yeah, it, that. Like I felt like because he said it, I must have something. So that gave me like, so much confidence it gave me like a boost and so I've, I've still been like riding this wave and I still you know getting better every day a lot of us we, we got a lot of work to do even the best of the best have a lot of work to do I went to that Dave Chappelle show in Detroit where we never got our money back because he was very wasted I know you heard about that show so it was like two hours of just going back and forth with hecklers he never told any of his jokes so we all have lessons we're still learning even when we're at the top like he is he learned a lesson that day so I feel like I'm always have room to grow. And as I go along that way, I need a boost. I need a push. And it was just a little, that was that little shiny spot when he told me that. That's really good. So why don't you walk me through the process of how you write your stand-up? How I write my stand-up. Okay. This is very easy to answer. <laughs> my jokes, this is, this is, I know it's going to sound weird. My jokes just come to me. So I can be washing dishes. I can be driving the car. I can be in the shower. I can be making up my bed and something will just come to me. And it's like, Tam, you got to go write it down or I'll put it in my phone. I am not one of those millions of writers who can say, okay, it's Saturday, two o'clock is writing time. You cannot sit me down with a pen. Nothing will come out. I can't do it that way. All of my jokes come to me. So like sporadically. Yes. Yep. Just sporadically. So I can be watching CNN. You know, it could be something about Trump. It could be something about Condoleezza Rice, just anything. And I'll see something and whether it's in the story or just looking at that person, something will be like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. I, I could do something with that. And then I'll go write it down. But I could never like meet with another writer or comedian and say, hey, let's have a writing session. We're going to sit down and we're going to write. Like, I'm just not going to come up with stuff. The, the only thing I could do with that is um maybe have some jokes that I've been working on and I'm not ready to present them yet because I feel like they need more work. And then so I got them on the back burner and then I may sit with someone and say, hey, have you ever had this problem? This is what I'm working with. And they'll go, oh, well, this is, you know, something like that where they'll go, this is how I usually um, knock it out if I have a 
if I have an incomplete joke like that. But as far as just like, let me sit down and let me, let me, you know, Ashley just told me to write some jokes about going to Easter market. That's going to be pretty hard because any jokes I have about Easter market most likely will be when I went to Easter market and the stuff just happened to me or I made an observation and then I'm going to go home, write it down because I, I may forget. But as far as just sitting down and coming up with jokes, that's hard for me. The only way I could come up with jokes is through improv, which is off the top of my head, which I realize everyone's dying laughing. That could work on stage. Let me write that down. So that's how those jokes are born. It's never with me just sitting down writing. I can't be forced. And I hate that because I think that if I could be forced, I would have a whole lot more jokes than I do. I envy people who can sit down and go, okay, it's time to write. Have you tried work, working in that way? What made you know that that wasn't the proper process for you? Yeah, I tried. It wasn't organic. Yeah, I definitely tried. And I'm like, I would write stuff and I'm like, this isn't funny. It's like, you're trying too hard. And I'll keep trying again. I'll, I'll always try. It may hit me one day where I have a good day and I have a good 30 minutes where I just, you know, knocked out maybe 30 great jokes just out of the clear blue sky, but that hasn't happened for me yet. It's always something where it's like, it hits me and then it's like, oh my God, let me write this down. Where do you think that you find most of your material for your jokes? Like, like, do you find it mostly in the news or in life? Mostly in life. I would say half and half only because I watch a lot of news. So if I didn't really watch news, it, it, I would definitely, it would only be just stuff that happens in life, like making observations. So like, that's just how I think. I make the observations and then stuff will come up like ideas. And it's like, okay, we'll write that down, Tam. And then maybe something I have to revisit in another month or two where I can actually complete that joke. But I don't want to lose that idea. Sometimes the actual punchline and the whole joke is sitting there right in front of my face. And then I'll tell it and then it works with the crowd. I'm like, there goes my joke. I got that. It's good. So, but I, there's no way I can just sit and go, okay, it's time to start writing stuff. Do you find yourself overthinking a lot when it comes to preparing your stand-up? Yep. <laughs> Oh yeah, over I'm one of those people overthink with everything. You see, we talked earlier about bagging groceries and at, at Kroger in this pandemic. Yeah. I overthink everything. And I've talked to comics where they'll tell me, you know, you're thinking too much. Like it you you got it. It's right there. You're actually gonna ruin it if you try to do anything more to it and overthink it. So yeah, that that's the best part about this business is making friends with people who have your best interest in heart and they're looking out for you and they actually have the best advice because they've been through it all. Or they're at a place you are where you both start at the same time. They may have the same obstacles. And so you're both holding each other's hand through the process. That helps mm -hmm. too. So I take everyone's advice because, I mean, why not? I mean, I mean, if it seems like BS or it's like, or it doesn't apply to me, or I feel like, well, I've tried that. It didn't work. Actually, it, it caused hell. Then I know leave it alone. But I've gotten some great advice from people like Coco and the other greats from around the area where it's like, they know what they're talking about, you know? So, and, and it's worked for me. So I just try to um, not burn bridges and not, you know, I've so far I'm lucky to where I haven't had any beefs, I guess they call it, where like, I don't like this person, they don't like me and where I just mind my business. I'm nice to everyone. I do my material. And like I said, I, I always try my best not to offend audience members. So I try not to do things that are over the top as far as my material to where I'm not pissing audience off. I just want everyone to be laughing and be happy. So I've been lucky so far where I don't really, I haven't faced any obstacles like that yet. I haven't heard anyone tell a joke that I wrote yet. I've heard a lot of stories about people stealing. I haven't experienced that yet. I definitely don't steal people's stuff. 
In fact, if I hear someone tell a joke that's similar to mine, I'll drop my joke because I'm like, nah, that's too close. And I don't want anyone saying y'all got the same joke. Yeah. So like, I'm careful about stuff like that too. I just, I, I, I just don't like drama. So I try to stay away from all that stuff. Well then let's touch on a a much more serious subject with you being a black woman in comedy, since it's dominated by Mm -hmm. white men. uh, Tell me about some issues that you, or stereotypes that you may have come across. The, the, the biggest thing I see is, and let me preface it with this. I am a humble person. I am, you will never hear me go around saying I'm the funniest. I'm the greatest. Like, I don't think like that about myself. If anything, I'm always saying, man, I can't wait to get to her level or his level. Or, oh my God, what, what do they do, you know, to make it work for them? Cause I only wish I could, like I'm that person. So I want to say that before I say this, I have been at shows where I'm in the lineup and it, it could be an all white show and I'm in the lineup and I may be in the middle or even going up early, but I'm, I'm not. And, and, the, and, and I've even, I've been in lineups where I'm the person before the last person or before the headliner. And everyone, when the show is over, everyone in the building comes up to me or the host or whoever. And is like, she was the funniest. She should have gone last. And I know it's because, well, I don't, I can't say I know, but I always think it's because I'm a woman and I'm black. And it's, and, and I've been booked in shows where the person that booked me, they know what I can do. And I look at the lineup and they know what those people can do. And we all know what we can do. And I say, why am I not last? And so if this person does this, I'll either say something to that person or I just won't work for them again. I'll go, I know what they're about and I'm just not, I'm not doing any more of their shows. And then it'll, it'll be to the point where like audience members will come up where the host and other people can hear and they'll say, Oh my God, like you should have stayed on stage or why weren't you laugh? And it would be like where you're getting all the laughs and then the person goes up after you and it's just dead and people are leaving or people are just in their phones. And I, I feel like in my heart, it is because they're looking at me like this black woman, she's, she, she's not going to kill it like that. And then I show you, and then what? So I feel like in the end you lose because now folks are looking at you like, what kind of show do you, are you doing? Like, how are you producing this show? Like, why did you put that person? Like, why did you put Dave Chappelle up before the guy in Police Academy? Like, and I don't know his name, but he's the first one that came to my mind. Like, why would you do that? Because everyone's falling out their chair at Dave, and then you put this guy up. So it makes this person look bad as a producer or, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I just, that's just, and that's the problem too, because it could be a situation where that person has been doing comedy for 30 years and I've only been doing it for, and that's why they're the headliner, even though everyone knows what they can do and what I can do. That could be it, Ashley, but because I'm Mm -hmm. black and because of the America we live in, I'm always going to think. I know it's because I'm a woman and I'm black or one or the other, but I just brought it. I killed it. I brought the house down. What's going on? So I, I, you know, I just think there are people out there who still can't see past that. So, so when, when you say that you feel as though because you're a woman, because you're black, that mm-hmm. you're, that the theaters or the venue places are not seeing the worth behind your technique and your, in your comedic presence correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think they see me. I I think when I get off stage, if I just killed and had a great night 
and I get off stage an hour later, I think they will forget what I just did because I think they're going to see me first. They're still going to see me first. They're going to see my black face, my hair, my breasts. They're going to see this woman because actually I don't, I mean, you're not in comedy, right? You don't in the comedy in any right. form. Right? Okay. You, there's still a lot of that out there that women aren't funny. A guy told me that um, maybe two months before the lockdown, I did something at Club Paradise. I did a quick set on in Southfield. And he said, usually women are never funny. He told you that to your face? Yeah, he said, I, he's, yeah, he said, he's a comic who's not funny at all. No one thinks he's funny. They think he's a joke, so I don't care. But I'm not going to say his name. Audacity. He's not even funny. He said, he said, he said, I never find women funny, but you're hilarious. Yeah. And then um, many years ago when I took classes at Second City, one of the main, he, he was a brilliant actor. He never made it into fame or anything, but he was one of the main stage actors who acted along with Keegan-Michael Key, Sam Richardson of Detroiters and Tim Robinson, all these people you see on Saturday Night Live and stuff. He was one of those guys and he was one of our teachers. And I remember having a conversation with him like three years before I even attempted to tell jokes on the mic. And I was like, I think I want to do stand-up. I think he said, don't even bother. He's like, you'll never make it. You don't have to look for it. Was he saying that like out of endearment or was he like, like was he telling you this just to be, to give you the straight facts or was that his own personal opinion? He was telling me as a man who's been in the business, knows what it's like looking at me and, and telling me like, because I care about you, don't waste your time. Just, just don't. And he, when he, he also said like, and I'm going to say, I'm going to preface it with this. I am humble. Actually, I don't think I'm fine and sexy. I just think I'm an okay looking woman. I just do. But he said I was too attractive. He said, look at you. He's like, look at Rosie O'Donnell. And he's, they'll make it. But you, so he said that too. <laughs> so he was just giving me all these reasons why I just can't. And it makes me think of, which, which by the way, I love Rosie O'Donnell and I think she's pretty. I don't care what anybody can say. But it makes me think of, newscasters these women who catch hell on the sidelines because men look at them especially if they're beautiful right Mo these ones that look like models i'm trying to think of that one lady's name her name is sage i think something but anyway she's a sports cat she knows everything about sports but guys look at this woman and like you should be on sports illustrated cover what are you doing you don't know nothing <clears throat> but what a fumble is how could you know about an interception how could you these men that's how they look at us so they're like how could you be witty how could you be funny? How could you know about the playoffs? Like that's, get get off our turf. That's for us. So many people still don't think women are funny. So I'm fighting against that too. Even after I proved myself and had a great so night. So the fact that the this instructor that you were talking about, the fact that because you're mm -hmm. such a pretty woman, because you're an attractive woman, that you wouldn't be able to make it no matter what your skill set is is what he's saying, no matter what your skill set is. Yeah, he's basically, right, no matter what, he's, he's like looking at you, just don't even bother. So I took it as, the way I took it at the time, and I can't remember all his words, but it did. he did, it wasn't just the look thing, he gave me the impression that like from head to toe, top to bottom, inside and out, like I just don't have the personality, I don't have the charm, like stick to writing comedic sketches, maybe stay behind the scenes. You cannot go on stage, you are you cannot make people laugh. You're like, who, who do you think you are? Whoopi Goldberg? Please. So, and I've had people, I've had enough people in my years of doing stand-up to tell me how unique I am or how funny I am or how... I was just on a podcast the other day with Bill Bouchard, who teaches stand-up at Mark Ridley's. 
and Mike Bonner, who has toured with Cat Williams, been all over the place for decades. And they were telling me how likable I am on stage and I have this presence and I have this gift and I'm so funny. Like they were telling me, so, so I'm like, they're telling me this. And just think if I would have listened to what that guy said and never even tried it, right. never even did one open mic because I believed him. You know what I mean? I, I took his word because of his expertise of everything else on stage and trusted that he must know what he's talking about. There's something about my look, my demeanor, my height, my, my size, nine and a half feet, something to where this is just not going to work. I cannot do stand up. And still, Ashley, when I go places, I get this a lot too. When I run into people that maybe I went to school with, or I've, I've known them through like book club or the party scene. I love house music. I always go to house music. That's like my thing, house music. So it could be people that I've danced with on a dance floor 10 years ago and they, they couldn't picture me doing this. And now they see a flyer or I tell them come to a show and, they're, and they, they, the first thing they always say is, you don't look like you would be funny. And I say, well, what am I supposed to have a clown nose on and clown shoes? What is that supposed to, I mean, look at Tiffany Haddish, look at Aisha Tyler. These women could grace the runway and they're making people laugh. So, and I, and I don't know if they're trying, when they, when people say you don't look like you will be funny, I don't know if they're saying, if they see exactly what that guy told me, the guy who said that to me years ago, or if it's because, because actually I'm kind of like a dork, I'm goofy. Like I, I look, people think I'm a lot younger than I actually am. I'm, I'm like, I'm playful. I'm fun. I'm, I'm weird. Like, I'm not like, you're not like other women. Yeah. Like, I think people that don't really know me, they look at me and think I may be like a corporate nine to five girl who takes herself seriously, who doesn't really smile much. Like I'm the opposite of all of that. And that's another thing too. You you have that, that stereotype about black women. You know what I mean? They always say we look like we got an attitude or there's always an issue or they got to push through hard. Yeah, I'm the opposite of that. So when people get to know me, it's like, oh, I see, I see now, Tam, you're, you're silly, Tam, you're crazy, Tam, you're a dork. But the people who just see me on the surface, and they may, they, you may be the person that's always helped me at Bed Bath & Beyond when I went to checkout, you, you, and then you find out later when I hand you a flyer, what? You do copy, you? Because they just knew me from swiping my card. That, that's all they got. They knew me from all the times I came to the store and swiped my card. I didn't tell them a joke, but they just looked at me and they put me all together. That, that lipstick and, you know, just whatever they're looking at. You know, I don't, I just, I don't know. But they put me together and they got me figured out. And then it's like, no, no, no. And then when they see me on stage, they're like, you are a fool. What is wrong with you? I had no idea. So I think that all of that I'm fighting against, the stereotypes, the assumptions, the, the discrimination, just everything. So then do you have like differences in reactions between men? And well, of course we know what their reactions are, but do you have like different reactions between women, black people, white people. Other than the part about that discrimination where you're not given a chance because of who you are, the reaction when I do perform, um, it's pretty much, it's, it's always a pleasant reaction. I mean, no one is ever, it's the same across the board, I think. I don't think there's a difference in that. So why don't you tell me what kind of moral support you get from others for your stand-up career and for your improv career? Okay. From my improv career... I pretty much, I get a lot of support from the theater. They always praise how well or how genius or whatever, how the bomb they think I might be with certain line games with punchlines. Like, Sam, the way you come up with stuff off the top of your head. Oh, you're so funny. So like, I, it's like, I feel like with what the part that matters to me, 
the accolades that I get, the appreciation. The I got an award actually last year too uh, from a theater when we had an award show, the Inspiration Award. The times my name has made, I think my name has made the back wall and the green room three times where when you come up with a very hilarious line in a show where the crowd goes crazy, you'll make the wall. So they show me love. I, I like the love that I get from fellow improvisers who see me for what I am good at and and give me my props. And I do the same for them. Now, what about for your stand-up career? Uh, my husband and my mom, the support I get from my mom, it's like I will never need a manager because my mom will tell me everything I need to know. And she doesn't even know about the business. Meaning when she leaves a show, she'll be like, Tam, um, you need to stand close to the stage or you're not looking at the people. You're looking in the back. You have to look at everyone. Like she tells me all that stuff. And I, that lets me know she cares. She wants me to do well. She supports me. Um, it means more to me than anything when my mom or my husband is in the audience because I feel like it's like I'm a superhero all of a sudden. I feel like I'm good. I'm safe. I have strength. That's beautiful. My husband, he tells me all the time how like we'll go to shows and he'll be like, babe, you're better than you think you are. Didn't you hear the people's laughs? You were the best one. And he'll say things like, you know, he'll he'll bring ideas to me that I don't things that I don't even think about. And this this is not his realm at all, like entertaining and jokes and stuff. And so I love that because, like I said, I'm a humble person. I don't have the greatest self-esteem in this game. And so I need that push. Just like that time Godfrey told me I was funny. That was a big push. And my husband continues to push yeah. Now, you were mentioning earlier about hecklers. How do you deal with a heckler? Okay, so I've been fortunate where I never really had a heckler but one time. And that's amazing because most people, they have a lot of But for some reason, I don't I don't know if it's because, well, I never pick with people. But there are people who don't pick with audiences. They still get heckled. I never pick with people in the audience. I just, I don't do that because I know people who have stories to tell about being picked on. And it was the worst experience in their life. And that's why they'll never sit in the front. That's just not something I desire to do anyway. It's just not something I do. So I had one time some drunk girls came into a show. They weren't really picking with me, but it's like no matter who was on stage, they were like trying to like add their two cents in onto the joke. Not that they're trying to bring you down, but they want to like be in your show with you. It was like that. So they meant well, but they were tipsy. So that improv came out of me. And the things that they were saying, I just tagged on to what they were saying. And it gave me more jokes in that moment. And the crowd was on my side. And it was to the point where I was so pleasant with those girls that they were on my side. And I wasn't like trying to talk about them. Like I didn't go there. So the girls ended up liking me and they laughed with me and at me. And then I kind of moved on to my set. So I survived that. One other time when I went to an all white bar, it was Saginaw area. And it was like a town where there's these cornfields and my mom went with me. So her thing is, we're the only two black people in here, except the one other black guy who was a comic there. And he was cool. I met him for the first time. And so my mom felt like, okay, all these people walking in here with this Duck Dynasty camouflage on. And you know, the stereotype to her, she felt like these are all Trump supporters. They just look like they're Trump supporters. Oh my God, Tan, you can't do your Trump jokes when we go in there. You be-. So my mom was on edge. She wouldn't order a drink. She sat at the bar. But... I did very well. Like it was a packed night. I did so well that a couple of people um, came up to me and gave me money. Like here, here's some money. We loved you. So during that um, set, even though I was doing well, Mm -hmm. this drunk guy was in the front and he was really trying to mess up my set. So he would like repeat what I just said. 
or try to say the opposite to try to um, like get me off, get me off my game or forget what I was saying. He and so everyone was ignoring him or trying to, but it was hard to ignore him. He was right there in the front. And I said, oh, my God, this is my first heckler, my real heckler. Actually, I didn't know what to do. So what I did was I started fake crying and it killed my mom because she thought I was crying for real. So she got up and she got some tissue. She bringing me tissue to the stage. And I didn't want her to go through that too much longer. So by the time she got to the stage, I stopped crying. And I can't even remember what I said, mm. actually. But it was something like, side, now shut the fuck up. It was something like that to him. The whole crowd roared with laughter. And I said, yes, I handled my heckler. But I went back on with my set. So that was like the only time I ever dealt with a heckler. And it was, uh, it was an improvised fake cry because I never thought I would fake cry on stage. But it worked for that moment. So I got to tell you, I've been lucky because a lot of people have heckler stories. And I just, people, people just, they give me a chance. They pay attention, you know, and I just go with the flow. So I haven't really had any mm -hmm. other ones yet. Okay. So then why don't you, uh, we're reaching towards the end. So why don't you tell me what advice you have for aspiring comics? Okay. The best advice I have for, is the best that I've been giving, given. And that is the whole time on this on stage, you have to show an abundance of confidence. You have to, even if you don't even think this new material that you're about to try may work or that it's funny, don't even let them know that it's new. Act like you've done this joke so many times at so many parties and events and venues and it killed and you know it killed. This is why you're telling it now and you're screaming it out loud with the most confidence in the world because you know you're funny and you know your jokes are funny. Doing that, it actually helps you get through your set. It even helps you get past a venue where maybe the crowd is paying attention, but you got those people in the, in the very back who probably won't shut up. Like you'll get past that because they will see on your face. If you have any doubt, they will see it. They don't have to be a comic to know. They don't have to be a family member to know it shows. And it took me a long time to know that too. It shows. So as hard as it is, you have to psych yourself out by whatever hype up song you have to make yourself listen to before you go on stage, that shot of whiskey, that wine that settles you down a little bit when you drink it, whatever works for you, figure out what it is so that when you go on stage, you are so confident that can't nobody, because that is how you're going to be able to handle the hecklers. That's how you're going to be able to think on, um, think on your feet because a lot of stand up is improv too. The show must go on. Like when Beyonce fell down those steps head first and she got back up with the girls and kept dancing. Like you have to keep going. So you, that confidence, that's, that's the key right there. Cause and I noticed that with some of the confident, um, some of the comics in the city that I think are like the best, the most clever, right, the most brilliant jokes, they are so confident on stage. And if they're faking it, I don't know, but it's like they know they're the stuff. And so it makes you believe that. And then you just go along with their set and you laugh and enjoy yourself. So my final question for you, this question is actually called the Queen's Request. I would like for you to suggest one or two black Michigan performers. It can be in any genre of art. It could be singing, comedy, dancing, burlesque, whatever. Tell me one or two of those performers that we should be keeping an eye out for. Okay. Dornetta Davis, blues. I first heard her sing when it's actually on Monroe Street in Greektown, across the street from Greektown. I think it was called the Music Menu Cafe or something like that. It was a bar years ago. I first heard her singing there. She sings blues. 
And if you really like blues, you would love her. She has a band. She's amazing. And um, she would perform at different venues, like all, all the different festivals, um, blues festivals, different restaurants. I've seen her perform at like Greek um, Fishbones when they have their nighttime stages. She's on Facebook. I believe she's on Instagram. She's on uh, my family, my mom, my husband. We always enjoyed her. So she's very, and I think she she was supposed to be doing something huge, but the pandemic has shut it down. Like it shut down a lot of stuff we were all supposed to be doing, uh, which sucks. But her and one of my favorite, one of my favorite comedians in the D is Shawnee D. Shawnee D, she is, I can't, she's someone that no one wants to follow. Like, you know, when you're in the lineup and if you, if anyone ever tells you, you have to go after her, you're in trouble. She is like a firecracker. Like she, her energy, she can do clean. She can do dirty. She can, I saw her um, when I was at Lucky Strike recently with Frank G would have a show every Thursday at Lucky Strike. Um, And she came in one day and he just, he, she wasn't in the show at all, but he was like, you want to go up? Cause I think he needed somebody to kill time while they counted votes for a comedy contest. And she went up and she did like, I want to say 20 to 30 minutes, no jokes planned all off the top of her head, started off talking about the hairstyle that she was wearing that moment that her hairstylist did earlier that day, how it went wrong, how it went right. What happened? People were just dying. And it's like, that's what I'm talking about where you you know you don't even get to the stuff that you wrote. You know what I mean? Because stuff is just flying out of your brain. And now you just thought of a whole new set on your toes in front of all these people. You ain't even have to do the jokes that you came to do. That's the stuff I'm talking about. That's where I want to be. That's where that's that's where I strive to get to. And it's quite a few comics in Detroit who can do that. Before we end today's talk, um, is there anything that you would like to promote or drop your social media names or anything? Um, yes. Yeah. So I know we're on lockdown now and in, in, in the theater that I do perform at, which is Gold Comedy Theater in Ferndale um, on Nine Mile and Woodward. Um, I usually do about two shows there a month with the main stage cast. I know we're definitely on lockdown for the summer. If you follow me at Tam White on, um, it's Tam White Comedy on Instagram. I always post flyers for all the shows I have coming up, whether it's festivals, stand-up, improv, sketch, whatever. I enjoyed my talk with you today. I know I talked a lot, Ashley. I know I talked a lot. I kept going. Girl, that's fine. That's fine. I just, I love your personality. I love how bubbly you are. You're just so easy to talk to. Thank you, Ashley. I enjoyed you. Stay in touch. I will. You too. Okay.